Thank you so much. Guys, can we just give a round of applause to all our youth this morning? Amazing. So good. I like have not slept like three nights in the last couple of months preparing this and they have just done an amazing job so I'm so proud of them. Um, I just thought I would start this morning with just a few thank yous and firstly I want to thank you all you guys as the church, you guys as our extended family as we call you at half past six. We're so thank you for all the love and support that you give us, all the prayers that you send our way, the, the just everything you do that allows us to do what we do. A huge thank you to you. Thank you for being here this morning. I uh, thank you for tolerating us as we sort of invade and take over your service. It's a bit different. We're sorry, but we, we thank you. So thank you so much, guys. Um, secondly, I'd like to thank... Um, all the parents, um, for everyone, all the parents here from Half Past Six, we're so thankful for your support, giving us your children and trusting them uh, to us. We thank you that you continue to support them. Nori, I love that you ask questions to Josh, even when he's a brick wall, you keep going. We just love that you allow us to do what we do. So thank you so much to all the parents. Um, Thirdly, I'd like to thank all the Half Past Six leaders. If you're a Half Past Six leader here, can you stand up, please? We're going to embarrass you in front of a... Can we give these guys a round of applause? Uh, they are fantastic. They're here every week. They put in so much time and effort, and we wouldn't be able to do what we do without them. And finally, I want to thank all the kids from Half Past Six. They, they might not know this so much, but I have a lot of love for them. Like, I love them so much. I love seeing you guys every Friday. You make, like, I look forward to seeing you. And, I, like, over the summer, people ask, like, how's your summer going? In one sense, it's like, it's great because I get a break. In the other sense, part of me sort of feels like I'm actually, like, missing some of my friends because I don't get to see them. So I just want to thank you for just coming. Thank you for being who you are, all the trouble that you bring, all the fun that you are. Thank you so much. Thank you. Beautiful. What we're going to be looking at today is, I just thought I'd fill you in on Half Past Six's vision, um, on, on who we think we are, what our vision is at Half Past Six. And I think often when we think about a vision, a vision is something that's future. You know, we look forward, what's our vision for the future, what's our vision for the next couple of years. Organizations talk about the vision, about where they want to get to, who they want to be. We might have visions for our own life as well, career, school, sport. We have a vision for the future. But here at Half Past Six, we use the word vision a bit differently. Because to us, yeah, sure, we have a future vision. But more than that, what we believe about our vision is that our vision is more of a, an identity statement. It's not about who we're going to be or where we're going to get to. It's actually about understanding who we are now. Because, yeah, God cares about the future. But God cares also about the present, and he's interested in who we are today. He's interested in our present circumstance and situation. And so our vision at half past six is not about the future in so much as it's about the present. It's our identity statement. It's who we are. And I believe having an identity statement about our own life is really important. Because who we think about ourselves, that's where we build our life on top of. And if we're building on a really weak foundation that can change in a matter of time or can change when certain people leave or can change when certain structures in our life fall apart, so too we lose our vision, we lose our plan, we lose our future. But if our identity is in something strong, something robust, something that lasts forever and cannot be shaken, then we have a firm foundation to build our life. And so I believe our identity statement, our vision 
is so important to who we are and how we live. So here at Half Past Six, we, we have a vision. It's three things. Um, and I want you guys to sort of say this with me, right? At Half Past Six, we believe that we are loved. That we are and that we All right, great. Now we're going to get everyone involved, not just this corner. All right, so we are, we are, and we, beautiful. That's great. That's that's better. Some bit more energy. What I love about this is this doesn't just apply to half past six. This isn't just our vision. The reason why we've chosen this as our vision is we believe that this is right at the very center of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus at its center means that we are people who are loved, we are a family, and we love And we believe that's a real simple way to understand what it means to follow Jesus. That's our vision. That's our identity. And I'm going to share a bit about what this means to us with you this morning. Is that all right? Great. Great. We we read a passage. We're going to come to that. It's okay. It's not totally obscure. It's, It's part of what we're doing here. One of the reasons why we we started with this first part of our vision is loved is because I think from my experience and what I've observed of others, I think this is a true statement that one of our greatest desires, if not our most important desire, is the desire for love. It's the desire for acceptance, to be known, to be accepted, and to be loved. And I believe that at the root of all our pursuits in life, it comes down to this one single thing, looking for love, looking to be known and accepted and to be loved. And it's the thing we look for in everything. And sometimes we can go, well, that's not really what I'm after. I just really want to be good at sport. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm interested in. I want to be good at sport. And even now, I think to some degree, right, why do we want to be good at sport? We want to be good at sport so we can, we can get in a good team, that we can be accepted into that team, that people would look at us and be impressed by us, that people might look at us with admiration, that they would accept us, they would want to know us, they would want to be our friend. And really, in some ways, what we're looking for is love. Because if I was the best sports player in the world, if I was the best footballer in the world, but I had not love, that's a hollow life to live. Or if I was the most successful person in any field of business, or got the best grades at school, but I had not love, that's not a life I want. I would trade grades and money and and prowess and and all skill for love. I think ultimately we know that. And so that's why our first point of identity is that we are loved. It's our deepest desire. And this is why I love this story of of Cain and Abel. Because I think Cain and Abel shows two different responses to love. Two different responses to the ultimate perfect love, to God's love. Because here we've got this story, and it's a strange story, and it raises a whole bunch of questions, but it's a really important story, and it's a a story that I believe is at the heart of of all humans' interactions. We've got the story of these two brothers. We've got Cain and Abel, and, and they both give these sacrifices to God, and one is accepted, one's not, and the one who's not accepted ends up going and killing the other brother, and has this altercation with God and God sends him off and he becomes this wanderer. And it's, a, it's a strange story, but at its heart, I think we've got two responses to love. We've got the response of Abel and we've got the response of Cain. 
And I believe it goes something like this. The story doesn't give us a lot of details here. It doesn't tell us why God accepted one and not the other. It's not there. It, God just does it. But there's got to be a reason why. And the New Testament sort of helps us explain this a little bit. But at its heart, I believe that what we have here is we have two people, both loved by God. One who accepts that love and the other who can't accept that love and instead tries to earn that love. We have Abel who receives his love from God. He's known he is loved by God and he responds from a place of acceptance. He accepts his position as someone who is loved, who is treasured, who is valuable and he acts from that place. So when he gives this sacrifice to God, he's not doing it to earn anything. He's not doing it to try and get something from God. He's just doing it from the love and joy within his heart. It's a gift freely given. He just wants to give back to God, to thank him for God's love already given. And then Cain does the same thing. He gives this gift to God and God rejects it. And why does God reject it? Because Cain is trying to earn what God was already giving freely. And God said, you can't earn this love. I don't love you because of the sacrifice you give. I don't love you because of what you've done or who you are. I just love you. And it's about accepting that love. The position of acceptance or the position of earning. And these are these two different responses to love that I think come for all of us. Either we accept love, we know that we are loved and we accept it, or we are loved, but we just can't quite accept it. And here at Half Past Six, what we teach is that we don't need to have that attitude that Cain had. We don't need to try and position God in a certain way to make him love us. We don't need to act a certain way so that maybe, maybe he'll look upon us with favor. Maybe he'll accept us because that's a terrible way to live. That lives to a life of comparison where we just think, if I was just a little bit more like this person, then, then I would be accepted. Then I would be loved. If I was just a little better, a little better looking, dressed a little differently, if I could just fit in a little more easily, then I could find love and maybe God would accept me. We live our life in this sort of insecurity, trying to grasp love from here, there, and everywhere. Meanwhile, God is there just willing and waiting to accept us, and He has already loved us. We don't need to find it. His love for us is not found round the corner or 10 years down the track or just over this hill or just over this dilemma or problem. His love is here for us right now, and all He's asking for us is just to accept it. Just to accept what God has already said about us, that we are loved, that we are his children, that we can experience his forgiveness and grace. It's here for us. We can accept it, or we can try and earn it. And in earning it, we never receive it. It's there to be accepted like a gift. So who are we at half past six? Firstly, we believe that we are loved. It's who we are. And I know at times from my life, and you could probably relate to this, there are times where we go, okay, God, you love me, I think. I think I believe you love me. But can you just explain to me, if you love me so much, why my life looks like this? <laughs> You've had that? <laughs> sometimes it's funny to laugh at, sometimes it's not funny to laugh at. <laughs> but sometimes we experience that, we go, really, God, if you loved me, I don't think this would be the outplay of that. I expected something different. I thought your love looked a bit different. If you really cared, you would know that this is not the life I chose and this is not the life I want. I think we're all going to find ourselves there sometimes. 
We look at circumstance and we go, I don't think he really loves me. Or I think there's another time where we begin to doubt God's love. And I call this the lawyer voice. Sorry to any lawyers in the audience today. But the lawyer voice, maybe you know this voice. It's the voice that goes, really? Really? Johnny, come on, really? He loves you? Well, maybe he just doesn't know you well enough. Maybe if he knew everything about you, maybe it would change what he would say. Maybe... Maybe he used to love you, but not after what you've done. Last week was a bad week. You know it was a bad week. He did love you, but maybe it's too far now. We have that voice that just tells us God's love is just a little too short, and we're a little too far away, and that lawyer voice gets in and widens that gap and says, "Mm, the distance between you and God's love, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I don't think he's going to come and reach you. I think these are the two things that separate us from understanding this identity that we are loved. Our circumstance and that voice of guilt, that voice of shame, and that voice of insecurity in our heads. That little lawyer that tells us, you're not going to make it. What I want us to do when we feel like that, when we look around at our circumstance and at our past and we think God can't possibly love me, what I want us to do is look again. But this time I want us to look somewhere different. I don't want us to look back at our past. I don't want us to look at our circumstance. I want us to look to one particular place. I want us to look to the cross. I want us to look to this symbol of God's love. Because God hasn't shown his love for us just in our circumstance or in our past. He's shown it in history, in his son who came and died for us. If you want a symbol of God's love, if you want something to overcome that insecurity about whether or not I'm loved, we look there. And in that cross, we see God's love for us. We see how much it cost him to love us. How much he was willing to give for you, to forgive you. That all the things that lawyer tells you that separates you from God, God's saying all that distance, that's covered. That's covered. My love is greater than your inability to fulfill. My love is stronger. And your circumstance, there might be some things going on there now. But my love goes on forever. And the story I'm writing is not over You are in the middle of your narrative. You are in the middle of your story. And the cross tells us that that story ends well. Sometimes we feel like we're sort of like Jesus in Gethsemane, if you know the story, where you're there and you're you're praying to God and you're pleading because we know the story doesn't look good at that point. It looks like Jesus is going to die. It looks like we have to face our circumstance and God's not with us. But what does the cross tell us? The story's not over. God is still working. The narrative continues and his love is more powerful. So when circumstance speaks, when the little voice in your head speaks and it looks like all is lost, I want you to look somewhere different. Look to the love that Jesus showed you on the cross and you can tell your soul and your mind, your circumstance and that little voice in your head, you can tell it all that God loves me more than that. It's who I am. I am loved. That took a long time. The others aren't going to be that long. All right? (laughs) Our Our second thing is this. We are loved. Secondly, we're a family. We're a family. And I believe these two, they go together. All right? 
We are loved by God and he calls us into his family. And that's who we believe we are at half past six. And again, here is a church as well. We call this the church family. We are a church family. And one of the things I love about family is family means something for us. And when we use the word family, this isn't just a trite cliche that we say at church. Like, yeah, you're my family. It's great. <laughs> like, no, it's like a real thing. It's tangible. And on Fridays, I know us leaders, we get to the end of our night. Sometimes we're exhausted and shattered. And we get to the end and we just start talking about the kids. We talk about our brothers and sisters and how much joy they give us, even when it's painful. If you're a parent here, you know what that's like. right? You still love your kids. They're painful, but you love them. And that's what family is. And family means something. And what it means for us is that there are no strangers. There are no strangers amongst us at half past six. And I believe here at the church as well. This is what we're looking towards, a place where there is no strangers. And I mean this in two ways. Firstly, because if you don't know them, it doesn't mean you don't know them. You might not know who they are. You might not know their name. You might have only just seen their face. They might be in the world standard, just a stranger. But at a half past six in a church, they're more than a stranger. They're a brother and a sister. And actually, in a deeper level, you do know them. You're part of the same family. You are connected by something far greater than time spent with them. You're connected by the love of Jesus. And secondly, the reason why there's no strangers is because we're at half past six. We are just there to welcome people. When new people come on half past six, we had two new people on Friday. And when they come, they're not strangers coming to our group. They're guests that we welcome, that we celebrate, that we open with, with open arms, we let them in. They're guests to our family. When newcomers come to church, and if you're new today, you are a guest in our family, not a stranger, a guest. And all people that come are guests, included in our family, maybe just for a night, but they're there with us. We love them. There's no strangers amongst us. That's our vision for who we are and also who we want to be as well. And finally... Finally, is this idea that we love. We are loved by God. We are called into his family. And as a family, we love. And I don't know if you can pick this up, but all these things flow together. Because we're loved by God, he's put us in a family. We can't be loved by God and not in a family. They're part of the same thing. Loved by God, part of his family. But if you're part of a family and you don't love, that family will fall apart. We're loved by God into a family. And as a family, we love. But we can only love because we've first been loved. They all fit in. It's really hard to love when you feel like you've got no love to give. What God shows us is he has given us more love than we could possibly ever exhaust, than we could possibly ever need. And he goes, don't just love from your own capacity. Love from the well that God has given you to love others. I'm going to say one more one more thing about this, and, and that's in this passage that we read. Um, you get the first ever question that mankind asks God. If you read through the first book of the Bible, you get to this passage in chapter 4, and it's the first ever question that man asks God. Now, I just picture yourself. If you had one question to ask God, what would it be? Right, just think of that question, and then we'll see what man asks God, the first question. It says in... Where is it? Here we go. In verse 9, God says, where's your brother Abel? He responds like a true teenager. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? First question. 
man, ask God, do I really have to look after my brother? Do I really have to love him? You could ask any question to God. Your first question is, do I really have to look after him? I'm, that's, is that what I have to do? But in this point in Genesis, if you read through the story, God has asked mankind nine questions. God is constantly asking after his people, even though he knows everything about them. God asks. But mankind is so obsessed with themselves, they just ask about their own thing. They don't ask about God. Do I really have to do that? That's what they ask. And here I think we actually show one way, a really simple, tangible way to love people, is to follow what God does. It's to ask. It's to ask after people. You feel so loved when someone remembers something that you were doing and they ask you about it. And here at Half by Six, we've been encouraging to ask questions, to seek after the hearts of our friends and family, to ask them, how are they going? How are you doing? What's your week been like? What can I be praying for you? How can I be helping you? Because we're a family and we're in this together. And we ask. That's a really simple thing that we've been looking at in this term at Half Past Six. So that is who we are. It's our vision and it's our present identity that we are loved, we are a family, and we love. And I think how we can see how this is going in our life is we look at the story that our life tells. With Cain, God asks him this question. He says to him, sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It leaves this question hanging in the air, Cain, what are you going to do? Are you going to act out of your fear and your insecurity, looking for love and acceptance elsewhere? Is that how you're going to build your life? Or are you going to accept that I love you? And are you going to build your life from the security of my love for you? And Cain doesn't answer the question, but the story of his life does. He goes out after God says that to him, calls his brother into the field, and kills him. The narrative of his life tells him, tells us, I mean, that he didn't accept God's love. I think for all of us, we can look at the narrative that our life is writing and ask us this question. Does my life look like the life of someone that is loved by God? Does it look like the life of someone who has been called into his family? And does it look like someone who is there to love others with open arms and open hearts? Or does the life I'm living tell a story of someone who is still searching for love that has already been freely given in Jesus. So that's who we are at Half Past Six. We are loved, we are family, and we love. Thank you for giving me some time here. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing our final song. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the love that you have shown us and that you have given us. Father, I thank you that you looked down upon our lives. You saw all that we had done, all that we had thought and said, and all that we would do forever into the future. And you said, I love you. I came to die for you, to forgive you. And Father, I thank you that you looked upon my life and the lives of us here. And you loved us. And Father, I pray that you would help us in our darkest times, in our times of shame and guilt and fear, Father, to keep looking at your cross and know on that cross all sin was forgiven, all guilt taken away. And Father, help us to accept your love, even though it is so great to understand, 
Let us not give in to circumstance or that voice in our head. Father, please call us into your family and help us to love each other freely. Amen.